0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. I'll be joined momentarily by Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, as we bring you a new episode on May 18th, 2023, as the Chicago White Sox just wrap up. A series win against the Cleveland Guardians as the White Sox won two out of three. They won the first two games. They lost the third game by a score of three to one. As Jim joins me here on the live stream on youtube.com slash And for those that are also watching on SoxMachine.com or watching on Twitter at Sox Machine or following me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Or for those that are listening to the audio version of this episode Afterwards onto the podcast feed. And I think in this particular series, Jim, for the Chicago White Sox, winning two out of three against the Cleveland Guardians is a good result. Sure, they could have swept, maybe should have swept with Dylan Cease on the mound in in game three and Cleveland's offense not being very good. But I think what we saw in this series, especially in the first two games might be a path for this team to bounce back. And it is very simple. Ball go far, team go far. Because what we saw in games one and two was a pretty dynamic White Sox offense that scored eight and seven runs against a very good Cleveland pitching staff, Jim.
2: Uh, so when it comes to uh, this this mix, I really think it is a matter of like finding how to maximize Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger and yuan mancada and eloy jimenez and trying to find out which one's hot which one's functional which one can play what position on a given day and going from there that makes it very hard it's like it's kind of like playing the lottery every single day am i fighting the hot bats? Who won't screw up a key play at a key time, give up an extra base. That's not, you know, necessary, uh, you know, for a pitcher who sorely needs to strand every runner possible. That's the, you know, what the White Sox roster construction is forcing upon, um, you know, Pedro Grafal and his coaching staff is mixing and matching in weird ways because every player is not really suited to play his position for more than a game or two at a time. That's what makes it really fascinating. Like Yoan Makata getting the day off on uh, for the day game made a little bit sense with, uh, you know, a lefty on the mound, but also like, you know, he should be playing every day, but also Jake Berger needs to get in third base. So yeah, it will be a, a real balancing test for a first time manager who is also like, you know, hovering around a dozen games under 500. (laughs) So all these games count. So uh, you know, normally at this time of the year, like, the second month of the season, there'd still be some trial and error, especially if there's, you know, injuries early on. You'd still have some, you know, ways to test something out, see if it works. If it doesn't work, people will forget this game by July. In this case, no, every game, you know, every winnable game right now is more important than it should be because of the hole they dug themselves in April.
1: Yeah. Gavin sheets had two home runs in this series in the two wins. Those were the only hits that he had in the series as he helped drive in four RBIs with those home runs. Jake Berger had a big series for the White Sox. He ended up going 6-for-12 in this series with two more home runs. Jake Berger's got 10 home runs this year, Jim. Nine of the 10 home runs have been at home. Jake Berger almost has a 1,300 OPS <laughs> at Guarantee Rayfield. He's slugging 9 Slugging 9 A 9 <laughs> OPS at home is amazing. Slugging that is tremendous. And uh, Luis Robert, he had four straight games with the home run uh, as he ended up going three for 12 in this series. In game one against the Guardians, the White Sox hit three homers. They won game two. They hit three homers. They won game three. They did not hit any home runs, and they lost. And I think what this invites into the conversation is that reinforcements could be coming in the power department soon, Jim. Eloy Jimenez is supposedly recovering nicely From having his appendix removed, even though he felt like he, in his words, he was, felt like he was going to die uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, Thankfully, he did not. (laughs) So Uh, did you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And he could be returning as he's running and he's starting to swing the bat. And it has invite this type of discussion of what happens when Eloy does return to the White Sox because if home runs are so important to the success of the Chicago white Sox in 2023 and for them to climb out of this hole that they dug themselves, maybe it makes the most sense to try to have as many power impact bats that they could have in the lineup. But as you alluded to Jake Berger only plays third base, but Yohan Makata is taking the day off and you only got one DH spot. So how do you think or fall, or the white Sox? when Eloy is ready to return handles this particular situation with the hot hands and trying to get the right guys in the lineup.
2: I can see their attitude being along the lines of we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, because we've had this conversation before about Berger and Moncada and then like, you know, each one gets hurt to where uh, they never overlap. And this is the first time they've actually shared a roster spot while being fully functional. I, I think this past week, like all season, they, they really have been uh, ships passing in the night. So that's a third base right field, you know, Jimenez getting the appendectomy and, and, you know, being hurt before, you know, that, that uh, alleviated some pressure. So I think there's always the idea of like, yeah, we can plan for it, but somehow we never actually have to juggle these spots because somebody's always unavailable. But let's say like, you know, let's indulge this fantasy. where like, everybody's healthy. Um, the most obvious pressure release, I think would somehow, uh, some way be if either, you know, Mancata or burger were capable of playing second, which I'm not sure they are like Moncada was a below average second baseman, Uh, probably worse now. Like now that he's not getting regular reps at it, Berger really doesn't have a second baseman skill set. Like, you know, we, we joked about like how, you know, he was especially atrocious on pop-ups just because of the angles. He didn't understand the communication. Uh, The paths were completely unfamiliar to him and he made a mess of those. And now that you have, you know, now that he's gotten adequate at third base, it feels like uh, just, you know, um, he's shifting the goalposts on him to where like he can never be a defender you like, because you're always pushing him to play positions that he shouldn't be playing. Just like, you know, Vaughn in left field and sheets in right field. And you're, you're always doing this to everybody. So it's got to stop at some point, but I wonder if we're going to see uh Griffal indulge that like right now, it's a case where just, you know, with Jimenez out, you can always get guys at bats. Um, when it comes to this scenario, where yes, you have Jimenez, you have Sheets, you have Burger, you have Mancada, you have Grandal, who you like, uh, that's one time where I can see the second base being reopened, especially since the production they're getting out there right now is pretty bad. Like Hanser Alberto has been fine-ish for the season, but it seemed like he's on the verge of just. Being the the Hanser Alberto, everybody knows as a replacement level player and the the early power stretch is going to disappear, going to fade. And you're going to get the guy who bunts uh, with a runner on second and one out against lefty because he just doesn't like swinging the bats if he doesn't have to.
1: Are you surprised by the following comment that Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets have better slash lines in the season than Andrew Vaughn?
2: Yes and no. I will say like Vaughn is going to play every day. So I think with small samples, yeah. you can like, you, you can goose the numbers a little bit, especially for, um, you know, Sheets saying like, well, he never faces a tough lefty. Yovani know, faces tough pitching from both sides, so I can see the the small sample, but I, I think Burger's the more surprising one. We've seen competency from Sheets and and really good at bats. We've seen with Burger like the power, um, you know, the 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 undeniable power, but we've also seen the really untenable strikeout to walk ratio that you think could you know make him a a 160 hitter who hits a homer you know every five games, but does nothing else. So the fact that Burger's made it an impact on a more reliable basis, I think is the surprising parts. Uh, Vaughn's been fine. Um, you know, I, I think the one other maybe pressure valve the White Sox could have is if Vaughn gets the tired legs again or the back issue or is less than himself, then you can see Berger slide over to first or Sheet slide over to first. You can make that work somehow to get all those bats in there if Vaughn is less than his best. But again, you know, if we're pretending that Vaughn is also healthy along with Moncada and Berger and you know, sheets and Jimenez, then yeah. Second base really is the only area where people have theoretically played before and could play again. Even if you're really risking weakening the infield defense, like yeah, immensely because you don't even have the shifts to be able to cover for a second baseman's deficiencies.
1: I would like this hypothetical to become realistic, like a reality discussion for Pedro Fall and the White Sox coaching staff, because that would mean, Jim, that this offense is continuing to hit home runs. And those home runs consistently have been coming from Luis Robert, Jake Berger, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn did, his, did hit a home run this series, but he just has five home runs so far. And he's on pace to hit 17, 18 home runs again in a season, which is not a whole lot.
3: My Lyle Overbay.
1: Lyle Overbay. My hope is that, they continue to hit home runs. These four players, Eloy gets healthy and he's returning to the team. And it forces this coaching staff to make a difficult decision. And it's a difficult decision for all the right reasons. Now you got four hitters that, sure, they play roughly the same position, but they're all hitting. And, and as long as they're hitting, that is a much more enjoyable conversation than here's four bad players. Which of the <laughs> worst, non-worst ones do you want to play at like second base? I-, I have also suggested on Twitter that my hot take is you could just bench Andrew Benettendi and have Eloy Jimenez play in left the field. They still want more power in the lineup because Benettendi OPS is still below 700 I see where people are saying well the batting average is 278 and his on base percentage is 341 he's a contact hitter he's a below league average hitter is the reality of the situation right now uh and he he was better this series we saw a couple of doubles but man if he doesn't have a home run by Memorial Day Jim I, I'm I'm gonna start sweating same thing with Tim Anderson as well as Tim Anderson did not have a good game three. Uh, but there's a lot of conversation that's going on thanks to Tom Hamilton, who is the Cleveland Guardians play-by-play guy. And from his perspective, I can understand where he thinks that Tim Anderson's not a very good shortstop, especially when he's comparing to what he has seen in Cleveland over the years. And he has seen Tim Anderson since Anderson has joined the White Sox. So I think he he he's a good judge of character from a Cleveland perspective because, man, Tim Anderson plays his worst baseball against the Cleveland
2: <laughs> Guardians. Yeah. And also, you know, he's seen, you know, Lindor, he's seen, uh, right. he goes back to, he goes back to like Omar Vizquel and such during his prime. So yeah, he's, he knows shortstop play, or at least he has a high standard probably for regular everyday shortstops in, uh, in Cleveland.
1: Yeah. If you're comparing Anderson to prime Francisco Lindor, it's yeah, they're not even in the same galaxy. Lindor was phenomenal. Still one of the best, ga- best shortstops of the game. Baseball past, age 30 with the New York Mets.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This topic here, I went on a rant about how the White Sox I thought were mishandling Yasmani Grand and they should put him on the 10-day IL. And then Grandal goes six for eleven in this series, and I could hear from thirty fifth and Shields being like, "Ha! Proved you wrong. This is why we waited it out, and we did not send Yasmani Grandal to the injured list." Josh, you were wrong on this because look at the great weekend week he had against the Guardians, going six for eleven, being in person for the first two games, he hit singles. He should have hit a couple of doubles because they rolled to the wall. He can't run, Jim. Yasmani Grandal cannot run. He can't sprint right now. So you have the slowest player in Major League Baseball hitting singles, which is great. 6 for 11 is awesome, but he can't run. What are we doing here?
2: And and can't run more than he normally can't run. Like right, you normally say like uh, yeah, Yasmani can't run. Now we're saying he can't run. Like you know, he's he's physically unable to when he tries to. Like when he when he you know exceeds his maximum exertion level, Uh, that's when he like signals to the dugout for a pinch runner because something happened. It is uncomfortable like watching him, uh, especially on balls that you know one hop the wall or something like that in right field, and you can see him rounding first. You can see uh you, you can see like his body language, like his upper half is saying double, 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 His lower half is saying Aah! <laughs> his eyes are saying his eyes are saying like oh my god like you know how do i negotiate you know you know between uh uh you know what i know that should happen versus what i know i can do and like the last thing i want to do is yasmani grandal is end up in a crumpled heap 45 feet between first and second and uh you know need assistance getting off the field so it is really really awkward right now because he's that's what's so frustrating is that like bat to ball. He's fine. Catching. He's fine. Like he's, he, he's going through all the, you know, tasks of his job that don't involve sprinting as well as he could possibly expect, especially given where he came from last year as a rebound season. Like he's doing fine. It's just the one thing he can't do. And like most of the time he doesn't need to do it, but in the you know specific instances where like he you know has to pull up from, you know, uh, at first base because he can't get to second and double that's, you know, normally that that kind of uh, judgment or, you know, the I guess the the restraint he's using to keep himself healthy. Like, OK, that's fine. But now you have 270 other feet in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, Berger helped him trot home a, few, a couple times. Like that was nice that he hit a single then Burger hit a homer immediately after to not have to worry about that. But, you know, when Burger doesn't do that. Uh, you have a case where just like, okay, is a triple going to score him from first? You know, is, is that what we're looking at here? Is like, you just have to, you know, something needs to happen behind him to replace the runner uh, at the base he previously occupied in order for him to score. Yeah, like a single scores him from third, a double scores him from second. Like, that's what we're looking at here. Uh, because, like, it's, I even think, like, Albert Pujols is probably the slowest player I can remember. And, like, yeah, Yasmani Grandal with hamstrings that could explode on him is definitely the most painful running experience. I think I've, I've ever witnessed um, mm-hmm. just because you can see the, the agony, not only like physically, but also like mentally of like, I really want to get to second because that with that hit, I deserve to get to second, but you know, nothing from my shoulders down says I can get to second.
1: Yeah. He should have 11 doubles of the season. He should have had two doubles in this series. If he had, Normal working hamstrings, but he doesn't. And my concern, especially this upcoming weekend series against Kansas City, let's say he gets a single and he stays hot. Jake Berger hits a gapper in the left center field. Can Grandal get to third? Or is he going to force Jake Berger to have a long single because Grandal can't round second base? Like, again, it's great that he was six for 11 but he can't run. I don't know how else to put it, Jim. Like, this poor guy can't run right now. And I, I Zavala is not hitting, and you've already optioned, you know, Carlos Perez down to Charlotte. Uh, so you're just rolling with two catchers right now. Uh, and Grandal actually DH'd in game three with Sebi Zavala catching Dylan Cease against the Guardian. So, I mean, this is a, again, going back to the previous conversation, a little bit awkward with this White Sox coaching staff being forced to make some difficult decisions here's another one like how much longer do you go having yasmani grandal play in this form because the more that he does run and the more that he does hit singles which is a positive thing the more risk that he does pull the hamstring and then he is for sure going on the injured list
2: Yeah, he's like an old car uh, where like somebody has, you know, figured out like, well, if I cut off half a pop bottle and put it next to the radiator, that'll stop the, you know, the, the fluids from leaking and I can just reuse the radiator fluid and put it back in, we'll be okay. And, you know, it works okay until like, you know car hits a bump the pop bottle gets loose and all of a sudden you know just everything's overheating and steam's uh emitting from the uh, uh from the hood and you're stuck on the side of the highway <laughs> without a, a service exit anywhere nearby that's kind of what we're looking at here with uh, grandal but uh it just it it's such a high leverage part of the season like i keep coming back to like being a dozen games under 500 like everything feels so necessary. And if Grandal is hitting and Sebi Zavala is absolutely not hitting like Zavala, isn't like even like a two fifty OBP. Like if you're doing like, what do you expect from Sebi Zavala? Like an OBP, it starts with like two, five or two, six and the occasional Homer and a one fifty ISO and good defense. Like you can say like, yeah, we'll, we'll roll with that every day. But when his OBP starts with a one and you saw like in the, uh, second inning on, uh, earlier today uh, where, you know, they run out of hitters six, you know, after six guys and now it's Hanser Alberto, it's semi Zavala and Jake Marisnyk and uh, Alberto doesn't get the job done. And now Zavala is up and he, you know, he strikes out. It's like, that's kind of what we're looking at here with just, uh, how abruptly this lineup ends, especially when it turns over to a top of the order, as we mentioned with Tim Anderson, who's who's up and down based on how his own legs are doing. So that's why it feels like I understand where the white Sox are coming from in the sense that grand doll, like given the way he's hitting and given the way he's like functionally catching very well for expectations for a 34 year old catcher. Like you want to play him every day. It's just, man, it's there. If you feel like you take – if you put them on the 10-day IL and the White Sox go 2-8 over those 10 days and Zavala does nothing and you really could have used Grandall, I think that's what they're really fearing here. And that's what this hole has created for them is just the idea that, like, if they lose or if they put a player – out of reach for a time. And then like, after they put them on the shelf, like they could really use them the next three days. That's I think what they're terrified of. And it's terrible. That's come to this and it's terrible. That's come to this so early. Like usually these are the kind of discussions we're having in August. Like, you know, the, the dog days stretch run. Sure. Uh, you know, can they manage it? But it's in may normally, this is the time where you can play the long game, but the long game, uh, you know, is a lot shorter now because of just how poorly they started the season.
1: And for those that are watching in the live stream on youtube.com slash or on SoxMachine.com, this will be a shorter version of Sox Machine Live as we'll hand it off to our friends from the 108 at 8 p.m. Central Time. So you'll be able to check out that show starting at 8 o'clock in just a few minutes on youtube.com slash from the 108. So let's quickly talk about the Kansas City Royals series. The White Sox and Royals played just last week with the Royals winning three out of four at Kauffman Stadium against the Chicago White Sox. We were very aggravated after that particular series because it's not a great thing, especially for a team that's supposed to be contending in 2023 to lose three out of four on the road at Kansas City. So the White Sox have another opportunity here to try to gain some games or pick up some of those losses that they had last week. And for the White Sox starting pitching probable starting on Friday at 710 p.m. Central Time, Michael Kopech will get the start. As Pedro Grafal shuffled up the pitching rotation. Saturday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. Note the time difference here. Friday 7.10, Saturday 1.10. Lucas Giolito will get the ball. And then on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it will be Lance Lynn. And speaking of Lance Lynn, Jim, that is one thing coming out of this Cleveland series for the Chicago White Sox is that the White Sox pitching did perform Very well. They only allowed eight runs in the series. Now, I think a lot of that is two reasons. One, the White Sox pitchers themselves did pitch better. Second, man, Cleveland's offense is as bad as they look on paper. That is not a good offense, especially when they do not have Jose Ramirez, who is out for this series due to the death of his grandmother back in his home in the Dominican Republic. But Lance Lynn needed a bounce-back start, and he got one against Cleveland. Do you think he can get a second one on Sunday against the Royals?
2: It was nice to see, like, the White Sox rotation pitch as though, like— this is kind of like a triple a lineup or I'm going to throw strikes and see how far they can hit it. And they really couldn't hit it that far. Uh, the white Sox holding that home run edge, even through three games. Cause we talked about like the white Sox nearly had twice as many homers as the guardians, as poorly as the white Sox have hit, like even their running laps around the guardians power wise. And you know, that, that manifested itself, uh, in this series as well. Also Josh Naylor being out with a uh, leg tightness halfway into the first game like that also really, uh, widened the the chasm between the two teams in terms of power but with lynn like i'm hoping that's not a matter of just like well i'm throwing strikes this this lineup of largely chumps or at least largely like all samey type players who are contact but don't really you know have to string together hits in order to do, do damage like the the royals do have some guys who can hit the ball out of the yard as uh-huh. we saw especially you know vinnie pasquantino chief among them uh I'm curious how much mindset of just, you know, facing this lineup, um, you know, affected the way the pitchers operated because we saw a Clevenger too, just like he pitched pretty fearlessly. I think two of his last uh, four walks came in the last inning and Grafal kind of pushed everybody uh, into uh, far into the last inning of work when maybe he should have gone to the bullpen earlier under normal circumstances, but uh, something to watch for in terms of his management going in this Kansas City series. But the one thing about uh, Lynn is he said he had different fastball movements and it looked like from the pitch data that his fastball wasn't uh, had the right ride, like had some horizontal movement, but in the right direction versus the cuts uh, that took away some of the, um, you know, just some of the carry that his fastball usually has. So given, you know, how he throws largely fastball and, and the, and the breaking pitches are more for show It does stand a reason that like minor fastball tweaks might affect him more than you know affects the normal yes standard pitcher because just how much he relies on it. But I also think that he needs to show it against a lineup that has shown that it can punish him uh, pretty quickly. And we also didn't really get to test whether, you know, Lin has stretch issues because uh, they didn't really put base runners on him. Right. Except for until there were two outs. So I want to still see that. But there were some, uh, you know, some, some factors underneath the performance when it came to just pitch movement that suggests that maybe he got on top of some issues that were exacerbating uh, some of the, uh, problems he had stranding runners and and limiting to one hit at a time versus you know three or four in a row so here's hoping and if he does happen to show uh this different pitch movement, this different better standard pitch move that he had against the guardians that should alleviate some of the concerns you have against like facing a pitcher twice in two weeks because uh, the pitches they saw the first time around shouldn't be the same pitches they see this time around with his fastball actually moving the way he wants it to.
1: And a look at the American league central standings on may 18, 2000 23. Again, the Minnesota twins still lead with a 24 and 20 record Cleveland losing two out of three against the white Sox, dropped to 20 and 23. They're in second place, picking up the, uh, a spot against the Detroit in the winning percentage as the Tigers are 19 and 22 on the season. The White Sox are at 16 and 29. They're eight and a half games back of the Minnesota Twins, five games back at Cleveland and Detroit for second place. And there is Kansas City at 14 and 31, still in last place, two games behind the Chicago White Sox as the Royals are going to be. They they won the last two games. As a matter of fact, they won a series in San Diego of all places so the royals have been playing some good baseball as of late so it should be a pretty interesting series but i think what's going to really gauge or garner a lot of attention depending on how his bullpen session goes is liam Hendricks. according to jeff passett of espn hendrix has arrived to chicago and we did see video footage of Hendricks in the bullpen or having a bullpen session next to lucas giolito during the NBC Sports Chicago broadcast of the game against the Cleveland Guardians on Thursday. And depending on how that bullpen session goes, the White Sox will make a decision on when Liam Hendricks will be returning. Jim, is it possible that Liam Hendricks returns to the White Sox this weekend and help out against the Kansas city Royals?
2: I suppose it's possible, but, when you look at the you know speaking pitch data, when you look at his radar gun readings, they're like 93, 94. Um, and normally he's like 97 to 99. So I'm less optimistic about him than I was like, you know, Garrett crochet. I think like crochet, like he's throwing well mm-hmm. in terms of power. I think it's more a matter of just, Tommy John affects command as well. And just, you know, the ability to sustain command, especially pitching on back-to-back days, like it's going to take him a while to knock off all the rust and everything. He could have some ugly moments, but the power is there with, you know, Hendricks. I think the power is still a ways away and, and it still feels like a little bit too soon. And I don't like thinking of that just because like, you know, it's a great story. Like it's, it's awesome that he's, you know, throwing 94 after what he went through. Like (laughs) that's what, you know, it it feels like, you know, given his uh, standards as an all-star closer and one of the best uh, relief pitchers in all of baseball, um, you know, that 94 is, feels like a mid leverage guy at best, you know, if he's missing three ticks Uh, but I I don't really, you know, it's a weird thing to juggle between like, he wants to be held to his normal standards, but also when you just step back and look at everything he's been through and just the, you know, going undergoing, you know, chemotherapy for lymphoma, you don't, you don't want to get, you know, this is a case where it does transcend performance a little bit. And it's up to the white Sox to have some adults in the room to say, like, this isn't good for the team. And, you know, we, we know what you want to do, but here's what you currently can do. We'll monitor it. We'll update every week or so to see where you are stuff wise. But hopefully, he's introduced like in in low leverage type situations early, and not like throwing like Alex Colome into a tie game in the eighth inning. You know inning. he like, will. You know, yeah, you know you, well, but you
1: know, you know, you know Graffal will
2: yeah, put him in high uh, leverage. Yeah, I just, you know, if you were throwing 97, like, or 96, 97, like, I'd say, sure. Like, you know, the fastball is probably still the fastball. It's just more a matter of command. But, like, when he's throwing 94, I, I you yeah, know, that just makes me feel like, yeah, it's, you yeah. know, it's, I, I don't I want to be disappointed in him. Like, it's the thing. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't want this to be another thing like that the 2023 White Sox ruined.
1: Yeah. I, I'm with you. I mentioned that on GN Sports, uh, on WGN, that my biggest concern is that Liam Hendricks comes out to huge fanfare because he will, and he gets blitzed because he's throwing 93-94. And he's not the Liam Hendricks that we saw last year. Again, everything that Liam Hendricks has gone through, stage 4 cancer, chemotherapy, the fact that he could pick up a baseball right now and throw it at least 93 miles per hour and get hitters out in AAA – is amazing but let's see in how this bullpen session goes and hopefully this isn't one of those situations that the white Sox are mishandling an injury or rehab situation to get a player back that can be critical to them and try to help them get out of this hole that they have dug themselves but at the same time you, we're all hopeful that liam is back to 100% and it may be a case that he's just not being challenged in triple a gym and he's not going to get that challenge until he's pitching on a major league mound.
2: Yeah. I mean, he kind of is being challenged, but also like Charlotte warps things as well. Like that's just a tough, Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a warped environment to pitch in, uh, especially for small samples. So it could be a case where just, they don't like him necessarily in Chicago, but they don't like him in Charlotte. Birmingham's not going to teach them anything. So they might be stuck a little bit and might have to do some, uh, hard last mile stuff in Chicago, but that's why I, want, I I said like, you know, hopefully lower leverage type stuff, but when they take uh, a washed up Alex Colomay and put him in the eighth inning of a tie game, just, you know, that, that's what, uh, that's what scares me a little bit about the judgment and just kind of name brand, uh, you know, maybe with the bullpen pitching a little bit better uh, as a whole, especially Joe Kelly looking like, uh, the Joe Kelly, the White Sox envision that maybe they won't feel the pressure to have Hendricks be Liam Hendricks right away. But just, yeah, um, they, they've had to make some weird decisions. And because of uh, this whole they've dug themselves, uh, they will probably feel under the gun to try to force some things that maybe shouldn't be forced.
1: Want to shout out to Celeste Papi, Papi, who gave us a super chat. Thank you so much for doing that on YouTube. Thank you he wrote to us. Appreciate you, fellas. Thanks for all the dedicated work, despite how frustrating <laughs> these White Sox are. I really appreciate it. And for those that are watching the live stream, we're going to bump it over to our friends from the 108s. They'll get started here with their show. You can watch at youtube.com slash from the 108, but for us here on Sox Machine Live, that will do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening. If you just discovered us, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. And if you don't get a chance to watch the live streams, we also upload the audio versions of each episode into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at Patreon.com/socksmachine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and our new Socks Machine swag in the Socks Machine store. Monthly plans start at two dollars, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at Patreon.com/socksmachine. The Socks Machine podcast is. Part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball on SoxMachine.com. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.